another exciting episode of The Spicy Life. I know that you guys missed us. We took a little hiatus for the holiday break. I am your host, Spicy Madi, and joined with me as always is the beautiful and lovely Dr. Ali. Hello. And we have a special guest in the G-Spot today to join us about the conversation, Believe and Protect Our Women. It is the phenomenal, the very talented Ronnie Jr. Rules. And oh. <laughs> welcome, welcome, Ronnie. Okay, I'm going to give you a little bit of background no about Ronnie. No one says my Ronnie. last name unless they're paying me. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? We might put you on, um, on the payroll pretty soon because uh, you are such a phenomenal producer. But I want everybody to know that uh, RJ Andrews has spent over 10 years in the media industry in both L.A. and N.Y., Ronnie has explored multiple aspects of arts and entertainment, including writing, marketing, promotions, television, production, and so much more. Uh, with a strong sense of self, uh, I like that you feel that you have a strong sense of self <laughs> <laughs> as a radio and television broadcaster. I know me. RJ continues to thrive in his willingness to grow both professionally and personally alike. Celebrating balance along with his bold, tenacious demeanor, RJ has inherently become a well-rounded media professional. And um, I love that he's a phenomenal producer, but he's been a part of projects from American Latino TV, uh, Latino Nation, also Santa Monica City, Complex Media, Fuse TV, and After Buzz, and Black Hollywood Live. Um, uh, all the way from New York City. And so uh, you're going to be able to sit in on a lot of the information that we're talking about when it comes to complex, because I reference them a lot in this episode. And right. so you're going to be our complex experts media source. Okay, cool. <laughs> well, I've been spending the last five months at the New York office, so yes. maybe, maybe I know a thing or two. I don't know. Okay, I so you're going to be able to chime in on all these, you know, behind the scene things that we're going to be talking <laughs> about today when it comes to protect our women. Um, yes. But first, we have to show love to our spicy sponsor. So, ladies, I need you to listen up. We have a new spicy sponsor in the house that is going to save you a lot of time and money, and they're called Simple Health. And as the name suggests, they're here to make your healthcare well, simple, starting with online birth control. Yep, you heard that right. Birth control is getting a much needed 21st century upgrade. With Simple Health, you can get your birth control prescribed online and delivered to your door for free. Whether you're already on birth control or looking to get back on it, or just want to try it for the first time, Simple Health will take care of you. Now, I have been on birth control for probably about 15 years now. I got off because it was so inconvenient. And my doctor just let me know that unless I'm actively trying to get pregnant tomorrow, I need to get back on. But uh, I swear my prescription always expires right before I'm about to go on a two week vacation or I end up calling my doctor in a panic to make a last minute appointment or having to play phone tag with my pharmacy and begging them for an emergency pack. So, you know, what's better than a pharmacy? My couch, because that's where I was when I signed up for birth control through Simple Health. All right, so here's how it works. You know that form you have to fill out at the doctor's office about your medical history, conditions, allergies, etc. Simple Health has the same exact thing online, but it's way more convenient and comfortable, obviously, because you can be on your couch. The process is comprehensive <laughs> and feels very personalized. They actually ask for preferences about birth control as well. Doctors help build the product and review every patient carefully to figure out if you're a good candidate for birth control and pick the right methods for your needs. And just to be clear, Simply Health is not making their own birth control or anything like that. Their doctors only prescribe trusted and vetted brands of birth control, including pills, as well as patch and ring. So if you have, um, if you're already on birth control and just want that sweet, sweet free delivery option, it's even easier. They fill in your, just fill in your pharmacy and any insurance information and they take care of the rest. Never wait in a pharmacy line ever, ever again. Woohoo! Wow, that's <laughs> amazing. <laughs> Best of all, Simple Health offers affordable care regardless of insurance. They do accept insurance, and luckily, birth control is free with most insurance plans, so you can pay absolutely nothing 
to use this service every month. For those without insurance, pills start at $15 a month, which is still super duper affordable and delivery is free for everyone. The prescription is usually $20, but Simple Health is giving our Spicy Life listeners a free prescription. So get the $20 prescription fee waived by going to simplehealth.com slash spice life. That's S-P-I-C-E-L-I-F-E or entering the code spice life at checkout. Once again, the prescription is usually $20, but Simple Health is giving our Spicy Life listeners a free prescription. Get the $20 prescription fee waived by going to simplehealth.com slash spice life or entering the code spice life at checkout. Okay. And Allie, we have to mention this. I want to let you guys know that this isn't a replacement for routine evaluations by your primary care physician or gynecologist. You should still get checkups as needed, but it's, you know, more convenient and comfortable way to get your birth control. Again, check out is simple health and get a pre-prescription by going to simplehealth.com backslash spice life or entering code spice life at checkout. Okay. Smoochies. Now we can start the show. Okay, the spicy dish. So we're just gonna dive right into it because we just gave you guys a whole lot of birth control love. So (laughs) we wanna make sure you're using protection. But because today's episode is about believing our women, protecting our women, one thing that we have been noticing that's been going on in the media is our women haven't been protected the way that they should. I mean, man, right? The McDonald's coworker or McDonald's worker that was attacked, I think- Just a patron, Did you see that? Behind the register. Yeah, I saw it, Okay. I'm so happy that she opened a can of whoop ass on the customer. She was a boxer. So that's what she said. She said she's like, she took classes or something. That's how she was able to defend herself. Okay. So for those of you who don't know, this homeless person walks into McDonald's. He wants a straw. She tells him that there aren't any straws available unless you ask for one. He commences to grab her. And as soon as he grabs her, she starts like socking, socking, socking him. And I guess her coworkers try to come to, I don't know if they're coming to her defense or coming to the customer's defense. Cause she's like whooping his ass. She molly whopped him. <laughs> but she now she's quick, lawyered yeah. up and she's about to press charges or I don't know. But the homeless man winds up leaving McDonald's, calling the cops um, and telling the police officers that he was attacked by a group of like black people or something like that, that were robbing him. He made up some what? type of lie. He told a different story. He told a different story. Cause he was in fact the first, uh, you know, the fir- he, he grabbed her before yeah. anything else could happen. Right. And so he's at fault, like 1000%. He can't make up a fake story. She was defending herself. Yeah. Exactly. And supposedly she's actually suing McDonald's because she had to call 911 herself. None of the managers, oh. nobody there called. And so she's saying, and her, her and her attorney are saying that the managers and people staff at McDonald's aren't trained properly in circumstances like that yep. and how to protect other team members. Cause she's basically like, how could this, how could we keep this from happening again? Right. And we look at it as like, oh, good for her because she was able to defend herself. Right. What if the woman was not able to defend couldn't? her? It could have like that man being, right? being a man aggressive and let's say, Stronger. we don't know if he was on any type of drugs or mm-hmm. whatever. It could have been ugly. We look at it as like, you know, hoorah for her, which is great. But like, I really am concerned with if it would have been like if my sister worked at, at right. McDonald's, I'd be worried she'd get hurt, you know, like, like seriously hurt. Because he, he's liable to do anything. Yeah. And what if, yeah, what if he had, you know, a knife on him? Or like he could have had a weapon or something like that and seriously injured yeah. her. But the fact that I saw her, the rest of the staff grabbing her and like pulling her away mm-hmm. as opposed to going around the counter and, and pulling him. him, I was concerned about that. Like what, what were they thinking? Well, don't get me started. I, this whole, she's an African-American woman and people tend to have a lot of assumptions about African-American women that were more aggressive, that were more reactive and that we blow things out of proportion. And so I instantly was thinking, are they judging, are they blaming her for this? 
Like are her coworkers mm. thinking that she's the one who instigated this and that's why they're pulling her off of him as opposed to protecting her from him and she just happened to have some fighting ability so she could actually somewhat protect oh, herself. Oh, she was letting him have she, it. Yeah. Not to let fitness, uh, whatever Muay Thai class she right. was in. Like, Let's get her a deal now. She needs to be fighting uh, Ronda Rousey. Yes. <laughs> what is it, MMA or whatever? Yeah, or saying. Amanda Nunes. Oh, first of all, no one can fight Amanda Nunes. She destroys everyone. She's yeah. Oh my gosh. She uh, needs to be getting a deal. Really? But it's just it's an unfortunate situation it, yeah. and it's tragic. Yeah. I could only, as far as like that, that tough question that I'm glad you asked, because it is a difficult question. Um, the only thing that I could think is that maybe it happened so quickly and it was just to defuse the whole situation. Mm -hmm. Not to be like devil's yeah. advocate yeah. or on the other side because I, I watched it a couple of times and I thought of course what you're thinking, mm -hmm. but I'm wondering like, it was it just a simple breaking them up. And yes, yes, men do have to step in and men have to like just yeah. see what's going on. But I could, I, I'd like to pray and hope that the intention was let's, you know, where it wasn't like a sided issue, mm -hmm. let's get the woman. I would, I would hope and pray that it was more about just diffusing it and breaking them up and not anything beyond that. Because that, that, would, that would be sad and that, it's the truth, but it would be, it'd be challenging. To that point, they were closer to her because they were all workers and on her side of the, uh, the little table. Right, I've worked, I've worked with Mari on so many different projects. If something ever happened to her, I'd, just, I'd instinct, instinctually want to protect her. And even if that meant grabbing her, like, you mm. know what I mean? Like I, that, I do think that I would probably I that. care for you first. Do you have something opposing? I don't think that <laughs> grabbing me off of whooping someone's ass is protecting me. I think they saw her in a fight with a customer and based on the way mm. that they were trained, the customer is always right. So I think they thought, oh, she, all they, all they saw was her socking him in the face. And so they're thinking, oh, she instigated this. She's hurting one of our customers. This isn't a good look. We need to pull her off of the customer. Now, because she was able to defend herself, it looked like, you know, she was the stronger person because of the way that he was grabbing onto her. But the way that you protect a woman is by knocking the culprit out. And what they should have done was socked him in the face oh. <laughs> or... I, or taking a plastic knife, I don't know, or, something. Or tied him up, or restrained him, or held him back, yeah, or held him you down. don't or... grab the woman or the person who's defending themselves, because now he has the opportunity to swing on her yeah. while her arms are being pulled back. And they, these men weren't jumping in front of her to take the hit. They were literally just pulling her off. So I think I'm upset by the fact that it wasn't protection no mcdonald's from a like overall corporate standpoint did not protect her because the, you know management did not call the police or you know yeah. do the appropriate things that they should have they should have pressed charges against this man but her employees and the men that were around her did not protect her and that is the problem that i think you know dr ali i have been kind of talking about lately is this like you know why aren't we you know protecting our woman and if it is about her ethnicity yes okay you know ethnic, you know, we, we are passionate people. We're more expressive, but that's only because, you know, we, we have a lot of feelings. We, you know, like- We got a lot of stuff going yeah, on. Yeah, we got a lot going got on. Got a lot okay? going on. <laughs> we got to wear multiple hats for a lot of things. Right. So, you know, to, to nobody ever deserves to have their life threatened or to have their safety threatened. No matter what you yeah. say, no matter what you do, I don't care if she threatened his kids. He does not have a right yeah, to put hands on Yeah, he should not put his hand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think a lot of people feel like black women and Latinx women can take care of themselves more, mm -hmm. right? Because there's this kind of myth of like the fragile white woman that needs to be the taken care of, distress. the damsel in distress, that needs to be saved because she can't take care of herself, which I think is a trope that 
impacts the white community in their own respect. You know, there's a lot of white women who can handle themselves better than I can, mm -hmm. you know? And so we can't assume based on the way somebody looks, how, how capable they are of kind of functioning through the world, you know? Cause I mean, I got some white girlfriends that can't throw down. <laughs> <laughs> like if I were to have a situation, I know who to call and she ain't black. <laughs> she's, the, she's the backup. And she, she knows what to do. <laughs> On, um, so, okay, so, yeah. wait, you just have me, like, think of, like, 20 white girls in my mind that I'm right? like, yep, Becky, I know, Nike, oh, I know, like, her, I know, Nike. Like, yeah, her name was Nike, and I'm like, she Love was, her. like, a hardcore white girl. Let me tell you, <laughs> <laughs> nobody's saving them, they're fine. But to, to your point about, you know, this, um, the, the need for our women, you know, to be protected in, um, it being, you know, about our ethnicity, that is a, a, huge overarching theme in what we recently just watched, which is second point on our spicy dish, surviving our Kelly documentary on Lifetime. Uh, I know you guys have a lot to say about this. Um, <laughs> this has been a hot topic on all of social, all of television and everything media related, music industry, you know. It's everywhere. It, it hits almost every single industry from music to television. It's like, you know, how, how did the media cover this? Were they covering it inappropriately? to, you know, I mean, all the different companies that have supported him over the years, from fashion companies to different television shows he's been on. I mean, this hits a lot of different industries. For those of you who may not, maybe you were under the weather like me. I've been sick <laughs> since yeah. Tuesday. Dr. Ali had I, to tell me, like, turn on my TV her, yeah. and like, watch no. this documentary. Watch it. I've been under the weather. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, what we're talking about is uh, R. Kelly has a, well, he doesn't, but um, Lifetime put out a documentary on a lot of the things that were going on that we may have been privy to, maybe we didn't, maybe we took a blind eye to it, but there are several child pornography charges and pedophile accusations that R. Kelly denies, but a large group of women, a herd of women, came forward and gave their testimony, their family members gave their testimony in this documentary. And people who were in his camp and his crew spoke on a lot of the misconducts and the um, control issues and the way that R. Kelly took advantage and preyed on young women. Literally children. Yeah, 14 years old, 12 was mm -hmm. some of the younger I ones. I think the yeah. younger one was 12, 13. Um, and I think there was a, a, a large kind of a knowledge of Aaliyah. I think we kind of all had an awareness of that even when Aaliyah was still quite young, that they had been married and that something had been going and on. And they played they played it to, you know, the the, the fans. You know, there was uh AG. Big Les was talking about being on mm -hmm. BET and and you know that was something that became part of the interview question and mm -hmm. it was played, you know, to the Mickey Mouse and it it was a lot. And then, you know, you have yeah. to ask ourselves, like, you know, what were we willing to accept back then? Exactly. I mean, we did know age is nothing but a number. We heard but the song. We were, I know. Why, oh, my God. Why did we nip it in the bud as a consumer <laughs> yeah. right then? You know, I didn't like honestly, right. like Fiesta is a great song or whatever, but I don't I don't I personally don't need Fiesta to happen. I don't need I wish to happen. Dang, I'm if, sorry. I did love his. I love Fiesta. That was a part yeah. of my childhood, like my my high school, like it was such a huge part. His music was a huge part. Like I remember times when I was listening to his music, like it carries yeah. a lot of memories for me, um, yeah. which is, you know, why they speak to it on the documentary of why we overlook so many of the things because we thought we could separate the artist from these rumors or alleged rumors that we thought we were hearing. And, and what it makes me think about is um, in a lot of the work I do with my clients, I talk a lot about the concept of a dialectical. So a dialectical is the ability to hold two very different concepts of one thing in your head at one time. So R. Kelly can, on one hand, 
be a talented musician, mm -hmm. a good singer and a good songwriter. And on the other hand, at the same time, be a, what we refer to as an aphibophile, which is a type of pedophile that targets adolescents um, in early to, or mid to late adolescence. He can be both. He can be a person that has abused multiple uh, children and women. And he can also be someone that writes good music. And so we don't have to exclude one or the other or destroy one or the other in order to um, make sense of him. And I think that if we could, as a community, could begin doing that more often, I think we could, we would be more likely to hold these people accountable for their actions. Mm -hmm. You know, Bill Cosby, you can still watch the Cosby show and enjoy it and also acknowledge that he may have slipped a, uh, um, some, whatever, some uh, pills into someone's drink or handed someone a pill and then assaulted them. That, those two things can exist. They can exist, but then are we- Enabling, do you think? Enabling, yeah, by mm -hmm. still supporting their programming, by still supporting mm -hmm. their music. I don't know. Yeah, I wish I had like an like a across the board answer on how I do yeah. it. But like I've been again, I've been okay with like saying I don't need to hear new Kanye. I don't need to hear him tweet. Mm -hmm. I don't need to hear anything. Like if I do hear something old of his, I guess I could let that live. Just like I would be able to let the Cosby yeah. Show live because yeah. I do like the program. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. I'm not. Uh, I'm not one of these people who's just gonna be like, okay, he's he has bad behavior and let's continue to support him. I don't yeah. want to, personally, exactly. you guys, I just, I don't want to support people that, I mean, obviously we don't know if anything is proven, but at the same token, like, you know, when smoke is fire there you know, you type go. thing, I can't, I personally don't like to support exactly. it. But I think that you can have, you can make that decision. Cause I think what ends up happening is actually the opposite. People are like, but he's a great musician, so he couldn't have done this. Cause that leads on the psychological concept of cognitive dissonance. So people basically are like, there's two very different ideas in my head. So how do I deal with it? By throwing one out. And we can't treat, we can't keep treating yeah. these people like they're gods too. Like, yeah. they, like that comment you just said, oh, he can't do it because he's a good songwriter. Yeah. Are ridiculous. you kidding me? He like, certainly yeah. could. Anyone like, please, we not, we can't be naive. We just can't do it. Not in 2019. Yeah. We can't do it. Exactly. And you have to begin to integrate this information into your psyche and not necessarily reject it. Just because he's good at singing, dancing, performing, whatever, does not mean, and I think really what it comes down to is that people feel guilty for liking him. Yeah, And so to is. deal with their own guilt, this is the cognitive dissonance piece, to deal with their own guilt, they reject the women that speak out against these men. They say, oh, they must be lying because I like him. And it's like at, at, a, at a very deep level, that's a little ridiculous. It's like, I get that you like him. I get that you don't wanna feel like a bad person too, but that doesn't mean these women aren't telling the truth. And it's almost a toxic relationship, whether you know mm -hmm. him personally or not, with anyone that you know has committed these crimes or anyone that you know has committed even a crime towards you. If you're in a toxic relationship with someone, a huge sign is when they're mistreating you or abusing you and you decide that you love them. And so this is just a part of what comes with the relationship. And so when it comes to the relationship that these fans have with R. Kelly, it's, well, I love him, so therefore I'm not gonna judge him based on these these faults over here or these crimes. And sometimes we even target it or you know uh, leave it up to our faith and religion, especially within the black community of, I'm a Christian, the Bible says that I should forgive, mm -hmm. so I'm not gonna persecute him for you know being a pedophile, but you know, keep the party going, step in the name of love. And so mm -hmm. it's this, well, that's how I rationalize it. I forgive him. Therefore, now I can still have this relationship with him, even though it's toxic. And we do that in our relationships quite often. And, and what's amazing is we, we tend to do it. Don't get me started on the church and the way we forgive men and not women. Um, and how we'll forgive him, but then we, de we demonize the women for just coming out with their story. Mm -hmm. And we say, well, what were you doing up at that time of night? 
why were you so young? Why did you go out? to his hotel why room? Were you, do, you know, we do all this blaming the victim. And I think I've talked about this before, but blaming the victim is a concept of people that have a, it's, it's called the belief in a just world. And a lot of people that tend to be very um, staunchly religious believe that things happen to people that deserve them. Mm. And so if you've been raped or assaulted in some way in their subconscious, they believe kind of you deserved it. Mm -hmm. And so I have to find a way to blame you for it because it's scary to think that maybe you could walk out of the house and something bad could happen to you no matter how good you are. Right. No matter what amazing things you do, people want to feel protected. Like, oh, well, I read the Bible and I pray and I do this and I do that and I take care of myself. So nothing bad will ever happen to me. Right. Which isn't accurate and isn't true. How do you think we change that, what you just stated? Like, I mean, you stated that that's what we do. Yeah. We tend to look at the victim and start putting scenarios as to where, what, why, how. And, you know, it's it takes a while to uh, to believe. How does that get changed? Like, what, what can we do in this moment, even just us three talking right now, mm -hmm. for that to be looked at differently? I think one is research and understanding a little bit more about how our minds work and how people and how behavior crops out of things and how behavior comes out of trauma and perspective and things like that. And I think the, the, the deepest part of that, which I think is the fluffiest part is empathy. It's such a thing, I, I talk about it all the time, but I think genuinely giving a shit about other people yeah. and genuinely caring about the fact that there's a 12 year old girl out there that has been sexualized by a man that she looked up to. I mean, cause who wouldn't want a celebrity? I mean, a celebrity comes up to you and it's like, I want to work with you. You're the best, you're the amazing singer. And you're 12, 13. I mean, you could have you could have probably sold me ice cream and I would have walked yeah. anywhere with you at 13. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's like they're 13. Just genuinely caring about those people. Uh, that So it triggered something very personal for me when I was watching the episode because in my adolescence, I was babysitting one of my siblings and I got a phone call saying, uh, this was probably like, I was eight years old. My sister was just born mm -hmm. and I'm babysitting her at home. Don't ask me why I was babysitting my sister eight years old. Um, <laughs> it's life, it's life. <laughs> but uh, someone called the house saying that my dad knows that I wanna be uh, an actress and he's an agent and he's gonna book me for a gig. All I need to do is just give him like my stats and so I'm telling him like my hair color, my eye color, my I literally fell prey to this person mm. on the telephone. And he's like, oh, do you have any friends that would be interested? I'm like, oh yeah, Sarah's a good fit. Da -da 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 -da. We go to this school. Like I, mm -hmm. you would think that I would know better. My mom. You just op father, opened up eight. because. I was excited. I was because like, it, oh spoke your, it spoke I'm to your dream. I'm going to be a star like yeah. I want. And it spoke, to, he spoke to my dream. He, it was deception. And I wasn't, I guess, wise enough at that time mm -hmm. to know better. Um, but I put myself in a very compromising situation, you know, dare back then, dare, you know, to keep kids off drugs, got involved. The whole school was like out looking for this guy after like, wow. I told my parents what happened. It was like a thing. My best friends, all their parents were like mad at me. <laughs> later, later on forgave oh, no. me, but I was a child. Yes. I didn't know any better. Like That's the it. entire school had to get involved. But it made me think of, you know, that little girl when she was taken advantage of, all she saw was this opportunity with someone who she adores and even, you know, the parents, the parents were like, well, it's not really, you know, you know, proven. He didn't get, you know, convicted for it. So therefore mm -hmm. he's, he, you know, it's not true. Let's not get started on the legal system in the United States and how it doesn't really matter if you're guilty or not. It matters if perception, there's, perception if there's enough doubt. Yeah. Was there doubt that he had child porn? And there was technically, I guess, enough doubt for that jury. That doesn't necessarily mean that he didn't have it. It just meant that they doubted that the prosecution's case was accurate enough or showed enough um, facts to prove that he was guilty. That's all that it means, you know? And I think that we take the legal system to mean something else. He, it doesn't mean that he didn't do it, you know? And <laughs> we tend to forget that. Yeah. 
Yeah. Right. He just had a good lawyer yeah. <laughs> that he could afford yeah. to get off. And so they were saying throughout the the documentary that he thought he was invincible. He thought he was this mm. god. Uh, I didn't know that he couldn't read. I did not know that. There was all these things that I think, and people, you know, are on all these IG store, like I'm listening to people's comments in the media and they're like, you guys, we've known all this information before, you know, why are we just now acting shocked? There's a lot of elements that I learned while watching this documentary that I didn't know that added to the story of like now how I perceive R. Kelly, but I got a, some amazing points from Complex that I do uh, want to run through. For those who haven't had a chance to see this documentary, it's some points that I'm gonna read really quickly to you about R. Kelly that you may not have known, okay? Because we're, we're putting him on blast. We're not supporting R. Kelly, even though he is a Capricorn. I am so mad that a Cap <laughs> is in this light. But, okay, R. Kelly's former tour manager says R. Kelly was worried he got Aaliyah pregnant. R. Kelly allegedly recruited girls at the age of 14 for sexual acts. You're Not Alone was reportedly inspired by a teenager who was married or who miscarried R. Kelly's child. I did not know that. Yeah. Uh, multiple women claim R. Kelly frequently made girls have sex in public. R. Kelly met a 16-year-old victim at his child pornography trial. Uh, R. Kelly was allegedly physically abusive and starved victims for days at a time. R. Kelly's team reportedly offered six-figure payments for people to change their stories. R. Kelly reportedly knew that filming his own sexual acts would destroy him. He had a large support system of enablers. Record executives reportedly ignored rumors of misconduct. A juror on the child pornography trial didn't like the women or how they dressed and talked. R. Kelly's ex-wife says she suffered abuse and trauma. Survivors say R. Kelly's alleged abuse continues to this day. A survivor says she was choked until she blacked out and victims were forced to pee in buckets. Uh, where am I at? Uh, R. Kelly reportedly plicked a female victim to be his boy toy. He reportedly makes girls write false accusations against themselves. R. Kelly allegedly picked some of his victims out from the crowd of shows. Chance the Rapper regrets making a song with R. Kelly. And... Uh, for the last point, this was from executive producer Hampton from Complex. She told um, us that a major takeaway would be that, you know, believe black women. That was like her thing and why she created this, why she felt like um, this needed to be out there in producers because we're not believing black women. Yeah. So I went through that whole list of like- And that's all from the show. Facts. These are yeah. all from the show. Gathered yes. from the show. Yeah. We did not make any of this up. We did up. not make any of this up. This is Lifetime. in the documentary. So if anyone wants to come for us, Lifetime said all of that. <laughs> I think I only knew maybe two or three yeah. of these accusations. I think the one that speaks to me the most is the enabling. I mean, not even within mm -hmm. just this situation. Like, I mean, it's sad to say, you guys, but there's going to be a documentary maybe in a year from now over, over something else yeah. that we have all overlooked because we continue to enable these people and make them our, our gods. You know, whether or not Bump and Grind was a pivotal song for you know my <laughs> adolescence. I, I can remember at 12 years old, we were all singing it during nutrition. Like, and it made us feel like 12 year olds, you know, our hormones. It. We, it spoke to like what we were starting to feel. And I, and I do love that and honey love, I love all that. But um, I'm just, I, not that all the other points weren't fantastic, but the enabling that we continue to do to all of these celebrities, yeah. we also need to have a little bit of accountability on how we consume these products because you know it, it is a mess. And, it, and there's, there's definitely somebody else in the same situation, possibly a black or Latinx woman who's gonna go through this. And again, as you guys said, and really it was like uh, the glass breaking when it happened in the documentary when the girl did say, you know why no one was paying attention? Is because they were black women. Mm -hmm. yeah. And even though like you know it, once it was said, I was like, wow. that's it. That like, it just to hear yeah. it, it, to hear it is to, to be in it and yeah. to say, no one was paying attention. And it's even, unfair. Cause yeah. even in the Bill Cosby situation, most of the women that accused him were not black. 
they were majority they were white. Majority yeah. white. And, and was that maybe a, a factor we'll never really know. You can never know something that isn't or hasn't happened. But yeah, was it really the fact that because these were African-American women and people assume one, that African-American women take care of themselves or two, like that juror said, I didn't like the way the women looked. It's crazy because you do mental gymnastics thinking about mm -hmm. what you just said about Bill Cosby. You'd start to say, is it the white woman situation? I, I, in the back of my head, if I'm being transparent, I thought maybe it was because the women were el like a, like a, a different different age bracket. And maybe mm -hmm. that adds to a little bit of credibility. But again, these are mental gymnastics I'm not even a proud of myself. But we have we are doing it mm -hmm. as people. If we're going to be you know honest, yeah. this is what's happening. I think, though, for a long time, women were coming forward, though, about Bill Cosby. Yeah. But when you have fame, when you have power, you can brush it under the rug. Enablers. So regardless of even their ethnicity, we still weren't listening to the white women True. that were coming forward about Bill Cosby. Just like a lot of women aren't being heard when they're reporting things that are going on in Hollywood. Executives this, and, yeah. You know, we give more power to the powerful man than we do to the victim. And so, or shall I say survivor? And so I think that, you know, at this, to your point, regardless of color, it has to do with their gender, gender first. It's because they're a woman we're not hearing them out. And I think I even heard, was it on the documentary or a comedian say that if there was a string of like men that were being raped or molested, <laughs> that shut it down. Would, <laughs> the government would shut down. Military, like, right, machine guns. But because and it's women, then it's like, oh, you know, who cares that, it, you know, it's these, you know, women. But if it were men, yeah. oh, well, No, what? even even the Kevin Spacey thing, like it took, um, it was Michael Rapp is the name of the yeah. actor. Mm -hmm. You know, that, and his was different because definitely it was another, again, swept under yeah. the rug, enabled situation. Yeah. Um, but you're right, you know, and, and it, you know, I'm a, I'm a <laughs> cisgender male, so for me, me, you know, yeah. I just live the life that I live, but you guys are making such great points. And I don't think men are being as, uh, you know, open to, to what's really going on. Because you know, I think to accountability an extent, wise, I think to an extent too, this type of conversation scares a lot of men because like one of the first things I hear when I'm talking to some like male friends or, or coworkers or anything like that, they're like, well, what about all the women that lie? You know, there's women everywhere. They just lie all the well, time. That could and, be true too. But, but the way, cause the way I feel is I'm like, but I think the number of women that don't tell the truth about sexual assaults is pales in comparison yeah. to the women. I mean, pales, like literally isn't even a blip on a statistic as compared to the number of women who never report abuse. Yeah. Because the fear that comes up when like, look at what happened to um, the woman who just with the, the gar not Garland, the, um, the Senate guy, the guy who's uh, becoming the judge, the Yo, Supreme Court yeah, judge. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she was disregarded. She did all of this, put her whole self on the line and then was her entire perspective was denied, was rejected. They said, oh, she misremembered it. Oh, and then yeah. literally moved on with her life. She's getting death threats to her home. Women who speak up about their victimization have not historically been treated kindly. And so you're telling me that they would rather risk that just to lie about someone for, for shits and giggles? Like, I just don't understand that. And so I think that a lot of men are, are a little afraid. Like, well, what if, what if one of the things that I did in my past could be considered it sexual to make assault. them look yeah what if what themselves. if i've done something that i don't realize you know and i and I, I i obviously i empathize with people who might feel that way but i think that doesn't mean that we now have to silence people who have actually been victimized and tell them that their stories aren't meaningful because there's some subtle slight fear that other people might have we kind of have mere men in the hot seat like men are afraid i think so yeah I don't this know. is how they're reacting to their feeling of fear you're saying is by rejecting rejecting the information yeah, because I can like, see that because we haven't had power and men said, well, no one was talking about this, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Well, it's like we have never had power in the history of life. I mean, 
A hundred years ago, if we had spoken out against our husband raping us or our husband or told our husband we didn't like the color of his socks, we'd end up in a psych unit for the rest yeah. of our lives. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like with with all the things we go back to twenty years ago, which was allowed and versus what's mm -hmm. not allowed. We can't use that as an excuse, you know. I mean, it, I I could go on and on about how unfair <laughs> that is. Like whatever happened and the way people were treated back then needs to be from back then. And yeah. we need to concentrate on the present and we gotta concentrate on listening to everyone. And at that point we can decide and we could discover and we can move forward and have what I loved how you said at the beginning, the two different sides yeah. of this person. Yeah. You know, their talent and their, you know, their sickness really. Yes. It's a sick, he's got a sickness. That's I a mean, sickness. even seeing him talk about him being molested at a young age and him, um, his, what do you say? His, my hormones were, were awoken early. Mm -hmm. I mean, of course that's, that's part Wait, of this. I missed that part. R. Kelly yeah. was molested at a young age. Multiple said times. He said yeah. his brother said it. Oh, I missed that um, part. I must have gone upstairs to make some yeah. eggs. His brother said it and a few different <laughs> members. I feel like a few different members of his team may, might have said it. Somebody else said it. And um, yeah, so supposedly it was by a, a male family member and a female babysitter, I believe. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not sure. It, but was, it was early on in early the doc, on, and I was yeah. a little worried that I was like, how are we framing this? I yeah. was like, are we trying to defend it? You know, because of course you're gonna have sympathy of, uh, for me, I'm gonna have sympathy over any misconduct within yeah. the, you know, that, that yeah. context. Uh, but if that did happen to him, um, where do we, where do we step in and, you know, help needs to be implemented. Like That's he it. needs the counseling. He That's needs it. the, and, and we're just like, we're bashing and, and we're, uh, you know, doing all of these things, like I, I just don't want the the word like counseling to not be implemented. Right. I mean, what am help, I right to exactly. say? What help can yeah. we get for him? And to yeah. to at least point earlier when she was. Say, yeah. Sorry. Um. Go ahead. No, that's not saying we're siding with him. Right. But just like, I mean, I could it's not. He's not the only guy. Yeah, I can't possibly think as as a young man, you know, like to to have encountered that, you know, yeah. what that would do to me for the rest of whenever, but like the fact that we're not getting help, we have mm -hmm. got to get help. Yeah, and I think that's part of the empathy conversation. Right, right? And that, that was what I was gonna say to your that point people, earlier. Yeah, and that people who are abused, who are victimized can sometimes in rare circumstances also become abusers. Yeah. It does not happen every single time that someone is abused that that happens, but some people do end up doing that. And uh, for a while I was actually considering um, looking at a position at Colinga State Prison, which is the prison um, for sex offenders. And while being incarcerated there, people do receive therapeutic intervention, they receive a lot of treatment revolving around making sense of their own abuse, if that's what happened to them, and processing how they've harmed others, and tapping into their empathy, because that's also something that they might be lacking, that you went through something horrible, possibly, and you've now put someone else through something horrible, mm -hmm. that's gonna shape their life for their future as well, and, and making sense of that, and also kind of turning them, like awakening them to the fact that they've actually harmed people, and that people matter. Well, when I was watching the documentary, I was really curious and I, that's when I started doing some investigating of my own because I wanted to know how does someone become a pedophile? How does someone, you know, get this sickness? So I started looking up information and of course I found an article that says, do pedophiles deserve sympathy? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's from Psychology Today and they started talking about the fact that you're not born a pedophile. However, there are some genetic you know, your predispositions, predispositions mm. sometimes to have, you know, higher testosterone or have, you know, a higher desire or sex drive mm. than the normal person. And you have to learn to function with this and not allow these thoughts that maybe run through your mind about children or about women or harmful things that you want to do turn into behaviors and turn into actions. So there's not really a place right now for men who 
are having these negative thoughts. You know, when he was, when R. Kelly was taken advantage of, or when men have been taken advantage of, or women, what is done with, you know, them and what counseling do they get? Because they can't tell family members, hey, I'm having these negative thoughts. They can't tell friends, hey, I'm having these negative thoughts. And if they do tell a therapist or a psychiatrist, they are required to report it. And so it's kind of this like gray area of what do they do and how do they get help? And that's what I, th I think that's a great conversation that can emerge from this, which is why I think that us discussing his history, like when they started doing it in the show, I was kind of like, oh my God, like, are we gonna be giving him too many excuses? But I think it's a good place to start because we have to understand what made him what he is yep. so that we can begin to help other people that might be moving in that direction. But maybe there are 20 years before that happens. You know, maybe they're 15 years before all that happens and we can now step in and help prevent like somebody. A, like a lifeline to exactly, some degree. Exactly, you know, and, and so I think a key is, obviously if you talk about abusing a child or abusing a senior during your therapy session, that is something that your therapist cannot and will not stay uh, maintain in confidentiality mm -hmm. with you. They will be re um, required to report that for the safety of the child and the safety of the senior, right? So if you're physically abusing or sexually abusing, um, but there are things that you can talk about with your therapist about maybe you have thoughts about that, mm -hmm. but you've never done anything. Those are things that people can talk about. Um, I think I would be hesitant to say that I don't have, I think every therapist friend I've, I've had has had someone who maybe has had some thoughts kind of like that. And especially working in hospitals, major state hospitals where people have been there for a long period of time or systems like that, you kind of can come across things like that. Maybe things that have already been reported and so now you're talking with that person, you like a sex offender who maybe is being required to come to treatment to see you. So it's already was reported before. Of course, as a clinician, you have to make sure that it was reported because it is number one, the safety of the child that's being in question. Um, but I think the number one type of treatment is really opening up that person's empathy. I'm curious to know how many people in those situations want to seek the help just because of the- They're dealing with shame. Because as you said, you're not allowed to speak on those things mm -hmm. anywhere. Yeah. Um, even if you give like a, a version of, maybe you don't say a child or a, the yeah. elderly, but like you're just, you know, you have a, a, a higher, what'd you say, testosterone? Testosterone or, or sex drive. Or sex drive, like, what, you know, I, I'm curious to know how many of those people just sit with that and live with that. And therefore, because one of the things I love about Madi and why she does this show, it's so fantastic. It's like the spicy life just to, we need to talk about these things. Cause when you it's bury- It's a taboo topic. Yeah, you bury all this inside. You're gonna, you know, you, you I mean, unless you, you know, pray pray to God and everything yeah. is, is, is up and up with your own stuff. Like you could fall into some really difficult situations. You've got to get through your mess. You have to. You have to, you have to look at it. I don't think that we're, even in our, when. At such a young age, I think that we should be encouraging therapy, whether your child has been through something or not, whether you coming from a divorced family or not. I think it should be a part of the school system. Yes, we have counselors, but I think that every child should have to go through some form of therapy because it is preventative. The mental health is just as important as our, any other form of education is being educated from a mental standpoint. And I think oftentimes there's things that are going on in the home that sometimes the parents don't know about or they do know about. Mm -hmm. um, but it also brings things to light and helps people understand what they're going through, helps them cope and helps them to start to forgive and heal. Yeah. And we have to do that early on as opposed to waiting until we're 
35, 40, mm. 45. To now, backtrack, yeah. yeah, trying to backtrack and heal all these years. And so, you know, when it comes to, you know, therapy at a young age as well, there's other things that you may find that your child is struggling with that may not be, you know, perverse thoughts. It could be something, you know, OCD. It could be ADD. Like there's so many other learning things that you can discover. A learning disability. Yeah. Dyslexia. Then, I mean, there's then, so many things. Yeah, but then that goes to people don't want to seek, you know, therapy for what they feel mm -hmm. like there's something wrong. I mean, I, there's a stigma I, I always, it. I always say like, you know, cause I, I've went to therapy many a times and I've enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. And I always say this, I say the times that I went to it, it was, there was like a specific things I was trying to work through and I'm glad I did. But I, uh, I always say that I think therapies, you probably know these things better, but just in my own opinion, therapy is so fantastic that I would even do, I would even be involved. I don't mm -hmm. have one currently. Mm -hmm. I would be involved with the therapist now uh, or even if like success came my way yeah. or or like I was on the top of my life. And the reason that is, is let's say you're a CEO of a company. You are now interacting with people who are only being nice to you per se because of the come up right. or, yep. or not come up, but the, uh, you know, who you are. And I always I, I don't think of therapy as like once you're in it, you're like trying to solve something. Yes, that's a part of it sometimes. But no, I think even at the top of your game, you know, adored by millions, like what that feels like to not even be a human anymore, to be like a product, like I think you should, you know. That is such a good point. Not just going to your therapist when you're in your, your down low right. times, but going to them when, when you're, you're like feeling good. And you're kind of like, because I think there's also a, a, like planning. You can plan for your future, like in a positive way. Like, okay, this is what's going on. Like, I know you're gonna be real with me because my therapist, lover. Sister girl, black, we have real conversations. <laughs> <laughs> I come in and I'm just like, girl. You will Let not me tell you about my day. She, Jesus Christ, you will not believe, you know. <laughs> and she could give you advice that works like, for you. Real. Yes, yes, mm -hmm. exactly. Because you know, I've actually been going to her for a while. And when I started to like work through my stuff, like I definitely suffer from severe, severe anxiety. And that's been something that I've had my entire life. And like I got my first ulcer at 10. Cause I worried myself into a stomach ulcer. Stressed oh, wow. child. I was, I was stressed. I was just always stressed. And, and so being with her, she's really helped me process a lot of this, talking about how stress a lot of times and trauma lives in your body, not just your mind. So you've tried to talk. She's like, you've tried to talk your way through a lot of this mm -hmm. and think your way through a lot of Rationalize. this. Rationalize. Rational. That's like my number one coping skill and, um, and cognitive distortion. And, but basically it's your body, it's in your body. And so she walked me through some somatic therapies, like some physical therapies, you guys look up EMDR, E-M-D as in dog, R. And, <laughs> and literally I was better. Like 34 years of drama and unnecessary stuff was and gone. And so, was able to I mean, she you. knocked it out. And I still go back to her when, you know, things are a little stressful or whatever, and there's no shame in going to see somebody who supports you and who genuinely cares. Stepping in though, I think, uh, Cause I enjoy it. The only reason I don't have one currently is cause I've moved a, a, yeah. a couple times recently. So I haven't really got somebody back in New mm -hmm. York. Um, and I might move back to LA. Uh, I can find no, you no, referral. I, who Come back. Who I can make you referrals. <laughs> but the point is, like, I do, I do want to ask. I guess the listening audience, like, the, just the difference between men being okay with therapy and women. You mm -hmm. know, like, I think it's a beautiful thing, but I don't know that a lot of other, like, like I'll talk to guys a lot of times, like straight men, and it's like they're just, you know, like I've. Me as a gay male, it's like I'm as tough as anybody, but at the same time, like I also open up my heart to like what's gonna work, what's mm -hmm. gonna make me better at therapy. But like a lot of these dudes, like like I'm talking like dude, 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 yeah. they are so rigid and they don't even like they feel like a they don't need to unpack anything or b like uh, it's not gonna benefit them. They can work them. through it themselves. Yeah, so that's like another part of it. I mean, thinking about like if anyone ever got like that good word too 
you know, Mr. Robert Kelly, like, would he even want to do that? Like, you know, mm. I mean, is it a male egotistical rigid thing? I mean, it's a question that I do like to ask. There is a certain level, I think, of ego that is hard when it comes to men having to overcome um, because they are raised to believe that they can conquer, they can, you know, protect, that they can fight, that they should be this, you know, certain level of strength um, as far as the gender dynamics are concerned. And us women, we're able to be a little bit more sensitive, emotional, and share. And so men don't necessarily get an opportunity to process their emotions the way that they should, which then makes it harder to connect with us women when you know we need that vulnerability and we need that intimacy. And so one thing that I require of all my clients to do when I'm in my relationship coaching process is, okay, who's your therapist? If you don't have one, you have to see Dr. Ali. Yeah. <laughs> while you're working with me because I can't teach everything. I can't get you up to speed 100% to get you out there ready to date and build intimacy with a woman if you don't even have the fundamentals. So like Dr. Ali will assess, she'll speak with them and go, you know, kind of find out, you know, where they are as well after they do a test that I give the spicy assessment, but she's working with them simultaneously with me. So now you have two people tackling both of your mm -hmm. intimacy and vulnerability issues at the same time. And so it's always helpful when, you know, you have the assistance of, you know, a mental health expert yeah. with you because there's so many things, so much, so many areas, you know, so much baggage that we take on and that we hold on to. And a lot of times we discovered that it wasn't really even our, you know, daddy issues. It was our mommy issues, which mm -hmm. is why, you know, we have some of the challenges and why you can't connect with a woman. And, you know, a lot of time when men come to me, they don't understand what it is. They're like, I'm a great guy. I am so phenomenal. I'm so successful. I don't know why I can't snag a woman and maybe mm -hmm. they can hook up with one but they can't get one who actually wants to stay in their life yeah i think we also got to think about look and i know this is more about women so we'll, we'll shift yeah, back yeah. to that in a second That's but fine. no I, this I, discussion I, about men is important I, the well, men are the ones who are assaulting these women right so. <laughs> <laughs> well and again I, I think you could have the the two sides of you you know you could be extremely masculine and a pr provider and all these things but you know i don't think it's a negative thing for these men to like open up and, yeah. and see what's going on internally because it will be beneficial in connecting um and also like as far as like, let's think about like television. Like if you think about television, you know, as far as what's represented, the man is usually always dominant and powerful. Mm -hmm. And that is what we are Those telling are we America see. or the world per se that like makes a good man. Like he's got tons of money. We never, like I was watching the TV show, This Is Us, which we, oh which my we God. watched. I love and, and there was that is my show. <laughs> get Ronnie, the, you got me on that show. Uh, yeah, I mean. Uh, we, you got me hooked. I love it, get the tears, you know, get the, get the uh, Kleenex. But <laughs> what I thought was interesting about that show, and I've told a couple of people, and they've all been really like, wow, I never thought of that, is up until we saw Jack Pearson, the character of Jack Pearson, um, as a strong, confident provider, a great man, but yet he doesn't have a huge income, yet he, he's more yeah. caring to the children on an individual level. He treats his wife with all of the respects. Of course, it's a TV show and they do have their problems. Right. And I was like, wow, I've noticed um, every man that is on television who's, who's supposed to be a dominant, like, you know, strong man, the representation has always been money, career, my, maybe even womanizing. Or he's like silly and goofy and we can't take him seriously. He's there's always messing tropes. up. There's yeah. a few tropes. There's like, there's like the idiot husband. Yeah, the That's idiot the, husband. The Homer, Simpson, Homer Simpson. Yeah. Right. The, you know, the, the oh, I'm an idiot. I do right. this. You know, and that's not always accurate. You know, we, we, in media, we really create these tropes that we force yeah. people to sit within. But I will say anecdotally, in my experience with clients, 
Um, I feel like men, tend, it's just anecdotal, just my experience, I have not read any stats on this, but men, um, in my experience, have been more goal-oriented and less about process and maybe a little bit less uncomfortable with kind of tapping into some of those deeper emotions and some of the deeper traumas, the things that might make them feel quote-unquote weak mm -hmm. and more focused on, well, what should I do? How do I get better? I don't feel good. How do I get better? Like, and then you- How do you, I fix this? How do I fix this? Like, so like a high desire to fix things but sometimes a little bit of hesitance, which I feel like if they continue in therapy, they will get there. Um, but sometimes, you know, it, if it becomes too uncomfortable, if you push someone too fast, because it's important to meet somebody where they are and not try to push someone to be where you want them to be. Yeah. And I think that's a lesson I had to learn very early on. It's like, don't work harder than your client. Oh my gosh. Right? <laughs> oh, I tell Spice this every single Dr. week. Dr. Ellie has to talk me off of a ledge <laughs> because I get so emotionally invested. Like, Spicy? They're not ready yet. They're not ready. Come yeah. back. Don't work harder than they you, do. Because you have the tools already. Yeah, and I'm and like, they, I just want you to get this. Come yeah. on, just yeah. get this. And you see the path for them. Like you, you see it. Like you feel it. Because I think people who go into helping professions, yeah, are discern have some gift of discernment where you can kind of see. Absolutely. Like, I see where you could be. I know why you're here. I, you know, we've had a few conversations, and I feel like I have a good sense of, you know, kind of what you're struggling with, and I desperately want for you You're rooting for them. to have this type of relationship, yes. to have this type of love in your life, to have this type of feeling about yourself, but you can't have someone, they can't get there faster than they're supposed to, you right? know? This is so true. Yeah, and so they have to want it. And so like you are saying, like would somebody like an R. Kelly or a Bill Cosby or another big time, you know, super duper, you know, celebrity, would they want to admit that maybe they had these vulnerable moments, these moments where they wanted to do things that are destructive to other people they had feelings that were maybe destructive toward themselves. I mean, we've had a number of celebrities commit suicide recently, you know, and, and is it hard once you've broken this veil of celebrity and you're in this tiny percentage of humans on earth, is it hard for you to then reach out to someone that is not a celebrity, someone that might not really understand that part of your life and discuss with them some of your more personal aspects? Like what if they go to TMZ and tell TMZ mm. that this and this and that happened? Can or what they, if- they can they right. legally do that? No. Though? Oh, of course not. That's, but I think that they might still maybe not trust. Right, because a celebrity on some level becomes a target. You they know, might not trust. On, I mean, of yeah. course, confidentiality is confidentiality. No therapist or doctor included, like your gyno, your you know, your your family doctor cannot talk about the things that happen. Yeah. But I think that might be an anxiety of theirs. One thing I wanted to talk about too is like, you know, we talk about enabling the the star um, on so many different levels, not just Bill Cosby or- um, R. Kelly. R. Kelly. What about, just, just opening up to you guys, like what do you guys think about, how do I word this? Like how we enable and how we like make these workhorses or show ponies for these uh, teenage uh, celebrities. This is not a male female thing. I mean, like, you know, a Corey Feldman, like, you know, Drew Barrymore, like yeah. how I do think like, maybe some more accountability even in that world. Not accountability like judgment, but like we we really push these child stars yeah. to run their lives like adults and we throw them drugs like it's nothing. And mm. then we back up and say, oh, you know. She's melting down, oh my God. Right. Watch her melt down or freak out. And it's I like, hope that's not a subtopic, but it just, it, I just, I did think of that a little but bit I think recently. Because I think that that, that kind of filters into this is this um, absolute power corrupts absolutely kind of concept. And that if you're, even at a young age, you know, like thinking back to 13 year old Allison, if I was all over television and able to use substances and kind of get a, get away with doing a lot of things because I've served a very important role, um, would I have had to kind of develop some of the concepts that I have now? You know, or if you're kind of allowed to at a very young age to dictate your own world, I what I've seen, and one thing that I help parents understand is that kids want boundaries 
kids want limits. They might not say it, but if you're 12 years old and you're the one making the rules, that actually increases your anxiety because you've only lived for 12 years. You right. have no you can't freaking idea what you're doing. <laughs> and so you might want to think you're in charge, right? That's like a great, you, you know, when you're a kid, you always want to be in charge, but it actually increases the anxiety in the kids a lot. They need to have someone around them that is able to guide them and tell them like, no, this isn't how we do things. This is how we do it. Let me show you how to be safe. You know, safety is huge at that age. And so I think that that's one thing that I, I feel like needs to be there. And a lot of kids' parents are very much so available for them on set. And, um, you know, yeah, I don't know about- involved. Yeah, and I think that that would be the key. If I had yeah. a child that was an actor, I would have to literally be there every day. And I don't know if you read Aaliyah's mom's statement. No, what was Aaliyah's it? Aaliyah's mom made a statement that was basically like, none of this happened. These women mm. are lying. Some Wait. of these women, yeah. Really? And oh. she was like, I was with her all the time. And Twitter was not nice to her about that. But I mean, you know, but she, she said, so, so you were getting this, you know, counter information. And um, she was like, I was always with her. So how would any of this have happened? Okay. So, so that mom clearly is, she, I mean, she's delusional. And in, in the sense of- I have no idea. There are yeah. parents that don't want to accept or admit that they weren't 100% a part of or active in their child's lives. You can't, and it's impossible to be 100%. You have to have a life of your own. I actually yeah. am a, a huge advocate of parents not losing themselves in their children. Mm -hmm. your, chi your child should not become your yeah. life. However, there should be a checks and balances between the two. And also on a side note, kids need unstructured time. Kids need time without you watching them. They need time, obviously in a safe space. Like you don't wanna just leave your kid outside and let them play on their own. But like. Kids need time to be alone, to be creative by themselves in their room, to do things like that. So you, so you should not necessarily be with your kid every single moment of every single day. They have to have time to make their own little bitty mistakes mm. while they're safe. How did Aaliyah's mom say that that wasn't true when the documents were forged for the marriage certificate? I don't know. I just know what the woman said. Okay, yeah, I, I'm I, like, yeah. we saw moms on the documentary like trying to pull their children out of hotel rooms, trying to get them back to their oh. family. So that I, they can be, you know, out, outside of R. Kelly's cult, sex I cult home. I cried so hard when they pulled that girl out of that hotel. Did you see that? I saw that. And I and at first she lied to her mother and said, you know, come back at six. I thought she was in, someone called 911 and, or, and said that that really wasn't her mother mm -hmm. um, and that they were gonna arrest her at the hotel when she came back to grab her. Did you see that part? No, I oh. saw it, but I, Maybe I missed that. I know there was a lot. It was a lot. But yeah. she came back to the hotel at six o'clock like her daughter told her to, but the hotel manager had pulled her to the side and said, your daughter says that you're not really her mom. We have to press charges if you, you know, try to go up there. Her daughter winds up coming, they think back down and like, or she they goes back the up. Yeah, they meet and then she winds up pulling her out. But for a second, I think her daughter was going to not go and she second guessed it and maybe mm. came to her senses. But she said it was the hardest decision she's ever had to make in her life. Right. Like. Ugh. That, that, but to even uh, Ronnie's question earlier about, you know, children who are growing up in the industry or children mm -hmm. who are, you know, put in these positions where they can be manipulated or someone is thinking on their behalf for them because they haven't quite developed yet, you know, their personal experiences and own wisdom to be able to guide themselves. You know, this happens very often that in your most formative years, you know, your personality, your idea of relationships are being formed and 
your relationships shape you. And so the relationship that she has had with R. Kelly or the relationship that these children have on set with their directors or, you know, the producers or the rest of, you know, their team, it shapes their personality. Like these people have almost mm -hmm. a, a larger influence than your own parents because you spend more time with, you know, the, your classmates or your friends than you do your own parents. We see our parents, what, five hours before we go to yeah. bed? Yeah. That's it. In a different way too. You react with your parents, you interact with your parents differently than with your friends. And it's the shiny object that you want. You know, it's the dream that you want. And what I'm saying is I do think like, you know, the managers, the agents, the, you know, X, Y, Z, the people at the network, the people at the label, like, yes, we can't treat these children like show ponies because these types of things happen. Not that anyone's at yeah. fault by yeah. any means, you know, uh, be it drugs, be it, you know, sexual misconduct. But like, I do think we're, we've lost that sense of like, you know, compassion, mm -hmm. the industry professionals, and they treat the children like show ponies. And maybe like that is, money. that's not going to solve anything, but maybe that's something we can talk about. Yeah. And it's a callback to it. empathy. It's a callback to empathy yes. and caring and understanding a 12 year old you know, and I think that's why a lot of a lot of laws came in to be like you have to have a teacher on set. The teacher tends to be the advocate for the kid. They can only be here for this many hours without a break or without whatever. So I think that that's one of the things that ended up kind of happening to protect these kids in the long run. Because you're absolutely right; these kids do make them money, but at the same time, they have to just be kids and develop appropriately. Yeah. Okay. This is clearly a whole Ugh. another topic. Like we need, we need another episode like dedicated oh to my God, the help that needs to like, you know, be provided to, you know, the, to the victims, to the survivors, but also to the, the people who are taking advantage, the pedophiles as well. And you know, one, one last thing is like in 2019, it was like good, positive spirit, positive energy. Mm -hmm. And as soon as this show came on, I got a little upset. I didn't want to go there, but I think that's actually a good point is that we have to go to these places. Oh, no, we I don't we need want to go to. there. Yeah. No, I literally work to be done. I was frustrated. I was like, I don't want to see it. And now that we're talking about nope. it, it is hard, yeah. but it is worth the while it. if we're going to solve these problems. We cannot ignore it. We have to wrap up the show, but I have to put you in the hot seat really quick. Uh, um, Ronnie, before anybody leaves the show, we do date or dash. This is oh, a new thing we're trying fun. out. Okay. So you have to <laughs> date or dash. Okay. Which is, one are you choosing? So you're uh, for Allie, Dr. No. Allie. She, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not on her team, but at the same time, she could convert me over real quick. Okay. okay. Yeah. Really? Yes, we know. We, 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 you get a chance with that. Okay, so are you dating or dashing? Okay, so dinner with R. Kelly, dating or dashing? Oh, dashing 1000%. Even if you get an interview? Um, Ooh, I, don't want, I, knew, I, I, I knew, I knew, I knew. I don't want the interview. I'll okay. tell you mm. that. I don't want the interview. Mm. Okay, I don't we got want that answer. On to the next. Date or dash? Dinner with your ex, your ex bae. Um, dating or dashing? That's probably a dash too, but what's wrong with a, a bite to eat? Uh, that's how it starts, that's how it starts. Okay, dinner with your father, dating or dashing? Um, I, I would take the dinner because I don't talk to my father in about three years, so I would, I would want uh, to see him to encourage a healthy relationship. Yeah. Okay, and then last one, dinner with your ex, are we dating or dashing? Uh, I think you asked that already, but- Ex-boss, sorry. Oh, oh um, dating, yes. Oh, you're gonna date. Yeah, you're yeah, because I like, you know, what did I do wrong? What did they do wrong? Let's grow together. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there you go. I like it. They did stuff wrong too. I like it. Yeah, we're all human, <laughs> all <right>. aren't we? <laughs> uh, Ronnie, tell everybody where they can find you. Uh, at randomlyrj, or the website is randomlyronniejr.com. And I produce segments on American Latino TV and Latin Nation. We just uh, d did one on Spicy Mari. Yes. So go to the YouTube and, and type American Latino TV. You'll see Spicy Mari's story. It's fantastic. And you guys can always play with my Twitter. Stroke my Instagram at Spicy Mari. <laughs> and uh, go to thespicylife.com for uh, some relationship coaching. We know you need it. And Dr. Ali, where can they find you? You can find me at allisonhicks.com, Allison Hicks on Instagram, on Twitter, all that A-L-L-Y-C-I-N. And there you have it. You have just been spiced. The